Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Women and Manufacturing. I'm Lydia DiLiello, your host for today, and I'm the CEO and founder of Capital Pricing Consultants. Today, I have the pleasure of getting to interview Kathy Canfield, and Kathy is from Employ Bridge, and she's going to tell us about her role there and share with us what it's like finding jobs for people on a short-term basis. So Kathy, welcome so much to the program. Thank you, Lydia, so much. Happy to be here and happy to talk with your audience. I'm Kathy Canfield, as you shared, and I'm a vice president of our brand solutions and B2B marketing. And what that means is I'm tasked with bringing new solutions to our customers and ultimately in support of helping our associates find great opportunities with those customers and Representing Employee Bridge as you know the largest light industrial staffing company in the country, we get a great opportunity to do that every day. So super excited to be here with you. Well, thank you. So when you said light industrial staffing, so that means you're placing folks from Employee Bridge on short-term work contracts. Is that right? That's right. When we say supply chain, we're traditionally talking about transportation, logistics, and manufacturing. And so they can be in any of those fields. We also do some clerical, depending upon the need of the customer. And these folks can be hourly workers, which, of course, we'll talk a little bit more today. But this can also be supervisors, you know, heads of departments. We do some professional hiring as well, direct hire, but it's all focused in the supply chain space. Okay, which I would imagine you look very calm for a lady that's in the supply chain space because there's been nothing calm about that for 24 months. So obviously you've got a system that's working really well. That's right. It's been really tough, you know, for our employers and we've been sort of on the journey with them, maybe some days out in front to tell them what we think's coming and then maybe sometimes, you know, catching up. But our job is to try to bring value to them on what we're seeing across the country. You know, when you employ almost half a million people, you get some interesting insights that for, you know, a smaller company could be incredibly valuable to them. So it's interesting when you talk about being out in front to try to give those insights to your clients ahead of time to give them some peace of mind with all that has gone on in supply chain. Can you talk a little bit about how all of this upheaval and supply chain shortage has impacted what you're doing? Yes, you know, we sort of have two different journeys, right? Our customers are feeling a lot of, you know, unpredictability and what they can predict, they try to hang on to as tightly as they can, you know? So a lot of time spent with, let's try to control what we can control, which in our case Mm -hmm. is a labor. And so for the associates, you know, it's so interesting. We just completed our voice of the blue collar worker survey, over 19,400 folks responded, which is a great response rate for coming out of COVID. And, you know, our associates are pretty high on where they sit today. You know, their overall outlook financially, as well as on their job satisfaction is quite strong. And so, you know, we actually share with our customers like, hey, if you have the ones you like, then you need to do everything you can to protect them and keep them there because they're actually quite happy doing what they're doing. And now that they've come out of some of the the COVID concerns, there's still concern there. About 48% of the folks still expressed pretty strong concern around COVID and being worried about taking things home to their families. But overall, a pretty strong outlook. It's just convincing those folks to come work for you as the employer. 
And so is it a permanent placement, Kathy? Does it transition that way from in the case where you said 40% of your employees were saying that they're happy where they're placed at right now? So then is there natural opportunities for them to be permanently placed or do they stay only with employee bridge? Yeah, it's a great question. So it can happen both ways, but mm-hmm. many, many of our openings are what we call temporary to permanent, meaning okay. that the long-term goal, both for the employer and the associate is to go full-time with the employer. And certainly we view that as a win-win, right? The customer sure. gets a great employee that they've met and started to get to know. And the associate can say, hey, I really like this. I want to make a commitment here. And then we do certainly have a population, either the employer has project work. And so we're mm-hmm. there just to help them for that short period of time. Or the associate says, hey, I like flexibility. I'm not ready to commit yet, or mm-hmm. I'm just new to the area, trying to understand what kind of jobs are available. And so I'm going to give this a try and meet and greet with several different employers before I land. Which is a great opportunity because when you've got a half a million employees, you must have quite a Rolodex. Okay, so I'm dating myself by saying Rolodex, but, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but you have quite a breadth and depth of companies that you work with to give your employees then an opportunity to find that good fit. Yeah, and that's really the win, right, is if we can find a great fit for the associate and the employer, I mean, that's a dream match that we're all striving for. So that's absolutely the win. And have you seen, because of the complete unusual landscape of the last two years, because of COVID and supply chain, your placements are dramatically increased or over the two years, has it roughly come out to be about the same? I'm learning myself as as we're having the conversation here. So I'm very curious about that. Yeah. So what's interesting, you know, at least today, right, where we've had our economy, at least for jobs, is almost in full recovery, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we've really come back so strong, which I don't think anyone could have predicted a couple of years ago when we were all wondering what was going to happen. So that's good in general for us. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have right now around two jobs for every one worker, which is definitely makes it an employee market, you know, so they get to pick and choose. And so that is very different than, you know, how it was, you know, seven, eight years ago. And so, Our customers really and employers like yourselves have to be shifting toward, okay, this is not just, hey, and a person feels lucky or honored to have a job, but Mm -hmm. it's more a sales effort to say you want to work here because of all these wonderful things we have. And that's definitely a shift, I think, from how many employers have looked at recruiting in the past. That makes a lot of sense to me. And that statistic that you shared with us of of two job openings for every employee that you have is huge. That definitely puts the buying power in the employee's hands, so to speak, and probably a really new position for most companies in terms of learning to market themselves and what makes them a great place to work and opportunities that they have available. Now, one of the things that we were talking about a little bit off camera was you know, what the landscape looks like for hourly workers in the U.S. Can you share a little perspective around that for us? Yeah, you know, I think, again, we've talked about this just a tad bit is, you know, for the employee, I think we're seeing just this COVID has changed their view of work, I think, forever. I mean, we're now a few years in and we're seeing just a totally different viewpoint from the hourly worker around a couple points. One, choice. 
Like okay. they have now settled into, I have a choice of where I'd like to go to work and who mm-hmm. I'd like to go to work for and with, which we was not really a part of the discussion with most associates, you know, several years ago. So choice is, is way up there. And then two, we're getting a lot of sentiment around that balance of, hey, you know, we just came out of a pandemic or we're sort of fighting our way out of a pandemic and family is important. And health is important and time Mm -hmm. with my family is important. And so, again, usually we would have associates who would happily work a bunch of overtime, happily work, you know, six Mm -hmm. days a week. And we're getting a lot of pushback on that. It's like, hey, I want to get home tonight. I have this obligation on Saturday. I can't make that. And Mm -hmm. in some cases, employers are reeling from that Mm -hmm. kind of feedback from employees who are like, we're just not going to you know, do that anymore like this. They're happy to work, but they need some flexibility and they need some choice because family's important. And we haven't seen that sort of really, I think, verbal and, you know, response. And they're showing it with their feet and the actions like, hey, this is mandatory overtime. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I just can't do that. And so it's just very interesting. And I will have to say, you know, thank you to employers out there who really, adjusted pay rates over the last, Mm -hmm. you know, couple of years. I mean, these folks are making more money than maybe they've ever made in their entire lives. And so by employers doing what they needed to do to get essential workers, you know, into Mm -hmm. their facilities, we saw really nice pay rate growth, which these folks have needed, I would say for a really long time. And Mm -hmm. so these folks have finally crested that consumer price index bucket of being able to financially afford hopefully with inflation, it doesn't mess this up, but financially afford their monthly needs. Mm-hmm. And so now that's empowered them to say, I will be absolutely productive for you, but I'd love to do this more on my terms versus, you know, on yours. So it's very interesting. We've had a great time taking a look at all this data to see how things are shifting. And so it sounds like really it's become much more of a two-way street rather than just a one-way where the employer dictated terms and conditions and the employee said, oh, sure, because I want a job. Do you find there's any relation, Kathy, to, I agree with you, I think the attitude for everyone has changed forevermore about work and what that, quote, work-life balance and what these things all now mean. But is there any relation to generations relative to their responses to this? Yeah, it's a great question and one that we have to be very aware of. So amazing segue, Lydia. So the reality is, right, that we know that we have about four and a half million folks edging toward that retirement age Mm -hmm. and the folks who are going to come in behind over the next 10 years. Right. So Mm -hmm. coming in behind, like there just aren't enough humans, you know, to backfill all that is number one. So that's a concern we need to be talking about openly. But then number two, their sort of social contract with an employer is very different. You know, these folks, some of them are still living at home, you know, in their mm-hmm. early twenties and their parents are like, what have I done <laughs> to take me, right? But they're sure. learning to live much less expensively. They're not interested in buying homes right away. They're not interested in getting cars. They're much more economical. And so even their concept of work and how many hours they want to work and where they want to work, it's all changing. And so I know that can be incredibly frustrating for those of us who are a little in the upper age rackets here, but we have to get to know these folks. We have to understand their motivation Mm -hmm. because we will desperately need them in our workforce 
in the future. And I think like scheduling and the flexibility we have, they will be demanding of us that we look at that differently. And so absolutely the different age groups that are coming up have a totally different expectation of how they'd like to work. And so then along those lines, into what you were talking about earlier, when I asked you about like, what's important to hourly workers, that's a really broad spectrum then based upon where you fall generationally and what you're willing to accept or not based upon kind of your age bracket. So that's right. I mean, in general, what we know is when folks are looking for a job, pay rate is number one, and it has been that way. So the survey that we completed in April we have over 16 years of data and pay rate has always been number one okay. for looking for work. What's interesting though, is shift and schedule came in to number two this year for manufacturing. Wow. And so again, in a manufacturing environment, I know that can be so hard to mess with shift and schedule because many of your plants are operating 24 seven. We can't Mm -hmm. afford if we miss people like that can really, you know, make a mess of our production facility. But again, it's what they're telling us. We need to be aware. And then the third thing is job security. So once we've landed on the shift or the schedule Mm -hmm. or how they're going to work, then they want to stay. And so we're seeing a lot of like, hey, if we can come to an agreement on how, then I'm committing to you, I will be here, which is really interesting. So like attendance rates and some of those things, like if we hit it right, those attendance rates and everything are going up. They're getting much better because we've included them in the conversation versus just deciding that on the side. That's a really interesting point, Kathy. And that's a key differentiator from I think anything we've ever seen historically in terms of employee-employer relations, to me, that's a huge positive for both parties because now your commitment is much better. So the sick time and the days off and all of those things really aren't there. Sick time is really if somebody's sick versus yeah, they've had enough and they need an emotional break, so to speak, right? So very interesting to see the dynamics and how they're changing. So when you talked about the scheduling flexibility, firsthand experience, I have a neighbor who was on second shift and he's in his forties with a family. And he said, they keep me on second shift. I told him I'm quitting. And this is somebody that's held a steady job at a good company for, I'm going to say 25 years, but he said, I can't live like this. And, you know, 10 years ago, you would never hear someone say that out loud. So just to your point about how this changes. And I'm sure this resonates with all of our viewers because all of us have had experiences of of hearing about this. And did the great resignation, as it was being called, impact employee bridge? And if so, how? And how did it impact your customers as well? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, the great resignation is sort of impacting all of us, right? Like one of the stats we watch regularly is the labor participation rate. And of Mm -hmm. course, you know, it dropped quite a bit during the COVID. And so Mm -hmm. it started to edge back. It's sitting at around 62% or so. But the issue is it's not moving. Like it's not moving much. And so I talked to our customers about, hey, we have to do everything humanly possible to figure out a way to motivate these folks to get off the couch and come work for us, you know, and it's going to have to be a combination of efforts Mm -hmm. to get to, you know, and I, you know, I think this can be overwhelming for some at times. And so I don't think you have to go after everyone, but it's like, Hey, if I'm going to try to lure students 
or yeah. veterans or stay at home moms or retirees or, you know, pick some groups that make sense for you in your marketplace and then really start to work through what schedule would work for these folks so I can lure in a totally different population than maybe my total workforce and then put them on a line or in a place where that schedule can work and ultimately help with your productivity and what you're trying to get out the door. But if we don't start to think that way, there's a bunch of people out there who are willing to work for the right opportunity. We just have to create the right opportunity. I think a really great point, Kathy, that you break this down in terms of almost targeted marketing groups, if you will, because I think for all of us, when we hear, you know, unemployment rates or the lack of participation in the workforce, it's one big chunk, right? We don't think about it in terms of, well, is it a stay-at-home mom or is it a student or, or what group do they fall into? And therefore, what are the needs of that person and how do you make it more appealing? Because I think COVID in terms of, it turned us all into couch potatoes to some extent, right? Because you couldn't go anywhere, you couldn't do anything. And then that malaise kind of sets in, which is, oh gosh, I got so comfortable doing a whole lot of nothing, (laughs) which is not most people's standard state. But to your point, how do you re-encourage and get that inertia going again? That's right. And to your point, it's just like your neighbor. You know, I mean, according to our survey, at least in manufacturing, 70% of everyone who responded said they preferred first shift. So if you're a facility who has like weekend shifts, only 2%. So two people out of 100 said they preferred the weekend. So if your weekend shift is integral to your facility, you are going to have to do special things. (laughs) to get these folks to come there consistently because they're naturally moving to, and more than we've ever seen. I mean, 70% is one of the highest we've ever seen. So they're really focused on their family obligations. You know, maybe they can get there early and someone can take their kiddos to school, but they want to be home in time to welcome their kiddos or vice versa. Right. But they're really Mm -hmm. focused on those personal commitments. And so if you're asking them to work these off shifts, it's going to take a lot of special treatment. And to your point, maybe identifying a special persona or a special group who's available during those times and then says, yes, this is actually my preference. And then awesome. You know, you don't have to do so many gymnastics to get people in there. I know we talked a little bit about the financial impact and you had mentioned relative to pay remains number one, always when someone is looking, but how does that financial impact affect them once they are working in terms of, is there flexibility then around offering more money to convince someone that the weekend looks better or a different shift looks better? Are you finding anything, any interest there? It's such an interesting thing. We have two data points around that. So the first is for a person who prefers first shift, if you're trying to get them to work an off shift, so second shift, third shift, weekends, Mm -hmm. for the first time ever, again, in 16 years, that pay differential has crested to over $2 an hour. So again, if you're trying to have first shift folks move into these off shifts, you likely will have to pay because our question really was, what would you have to pay if you were preferred first shift and you would stay on that off shift? And so, you know, again, if you have workers who like second or like third, you know, those pay differentials do not have to be 
you know, crazy amounts. But if you are in a, in a community, maybe it's a smaller labor pool or, hey, you know, my second shift or my third shift is really the most important time in the cycle of my workforce. And I have to have people on that shift. You may have to do a pretty big lift financially to get those folks to move. Now, the other side of your question, which is a good one is, hey, I have competitive pay rates. Like we were doing all the right things regarding the pay. I can get people in the door, but Kathy, how do I keep them? So, and that shifts, you know, once they're in, then they turn to a different list, a different checklist, right? So number one on the checklist is advancement opportunity. So these folks are saying, hey, I'm here and I'd like to stay. And so talk to me about what's next. And in this hourly pool, I would say, again, this is a generalization, but we traditionally don't do a good job about talking Mm -hmm. to them about what's next. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, we got you here. We're so happy you're here. I'm on to my next problem. Instead of really loving on this, you know, 20 or 30% who see themselves, you know, staying on and being with us. And then two and three, which we haven't seen ever in our top five, they were said, hey, I'm interested in 401k. Hey, I'm interested in health insurance. My hypothesis around why we've seen this for the first time is because, again, our employers have done significant pay increases over the last couple of years. I mean, two, three, four, five dollars an hour we're seeing across the country in pay increases. And now that we have associates there, they're able to sort of look up and say, okay, I can pay my rent. I can pay for my car. I can pay for my cell phone bill. I can pay for my food for my kiddos. Now I want to save. Or now I want insurance for the first time because I can actually afford it. And so I recommend to our customers, like, this isn't savings like $250 a paycheck. Like, these guys are savings like $5 a paycheck. Like, they are so excited to be able to save something. And so Mm -hmm. giving them a vehicle to be able to do that is a huge win, even if it auto dumps into a savings plan or just anything special for them. That loyalty lever increases dramatically. And that's so helpful that you gave us context, Kathy, around that savings in the 401k, because I think very often we forget that there's a huge range in that, right? Relative to where you're at in a company, how much you make, and to your point of 250 a paycheck versus that $5. Now, can you also give us a little context around, I'm shocked by that figure of the $2 an hour to $5 an hour raise across the country. Yes. Are we talking on positions that were, let's say, $15, $18 an hour? Or can you help me? Yes, kind of position great question. That? Yeah. So our average pay rate for employee bridge across the country right now is sitting at like $17.53-ish, give or take a little bit, right? And okay. so we saw that just a couple of years ago sitting at $13, $14 on average, right? And so that's why I know employers don't like me to even bring up pay rate because they're exhausted (laughs) from the battle to get these folks in the door, especially early in COVID. And so I just want to say thank you. Like these associates are living in a better financial place than they've lived ever. I mean, we've definitely, they've had life-changing pay increases over the last couple of years. That said, if you want to continue to bring in the best you can find, I think there's going to continue to be pay pressure. I think it's going to flatten some more here in the next year or two, especially with inflation and recession talk. I mean, there's just so much going on in the economy. 
So I think it will flatten a little bit, but I think there will still be pressure upward to continue to get the best. And again, if the jobs stay pretty competitive, I mean, again, we're two to one. So even if that job market starts to get soft, there's still a lot of demand out there. And so to get the best associates you can get, if you're not already competitive with your pay, you will have to get there in the coming six to 12 months. Well, and that will also change the competitive landscape for most companies, because if they've just invested, let's say, 35 or 40 percent in pay raises, which is unthinkable, honestly, from, let's say, five years ago. That's right. Because the landscape has changed totally. Now there's also a, a totally different landscape around profitability. And what does that mean the company has to earn and how do they go about doing things differently? And My hope is that they reach out to these new employees and this new generation and garner new ideas and ask for input. And hopefully that's another vehicle to tie them in and make them feel welcome and create some loyalty around, yes, your ideas matter. And what can they do to help us run these companies better? That's right. I mean, there's a double whammy for some of our folks, right? You've had a labor increase cost and your cost of goods. If you can get them at all, if you can get them, <laughs> they yes, are very absolutely. expensive. Yeah. And so I think you're right. I think, again, when we're talking about our generations, these generations coming up through are different to your point. They want to contribute. They want to work for companies that are making an impact. And so to allow them to have a voice. And that's why we do our voice of the blue collar worker survey. It's giving them a voice. I mean, over 19,000 people saying this is important to me. That's a big deal. But I think you're right. Within each one of our facilities and each one of our locations, there are groups of people who can help us help them Mm -hmm. find a way to make it a good employment experience without breaking the bank. Right. So I think if we work together, we're in better shape. As always, that no truer words were ever said. (laughs) Now, Kathy, as we begin to wrap up our interview here, is there anything else you'd like to share with the viewers? Well, I think I will say this, a couple things that, especially on the manufacturing front, which I think is very interesting. When we asked manufacturing associates what they thought they would be doing in the next two to three years, 27% of them said, I'd like to be a lead or supervisor in the same industry. Wow. And I say that only for folks who are continuing to look for the next layer of leadership, your next round of supervisors. Based upon this, I would say look in your own facility because it's likely you have your future sitting there and you may not know it. They may not verbalize it. They may not talk about it, uh, about it a lot, but in this safe space where they're able to share, I mean, a quarter of the folks are like, hey, I want to be in this space and I want to have a leadership role. So I think that's pretty positive for the future of our industry, especially in manufacturing, when, you know, we know we have retirees, we know we're going to have some holes in leadership. And so take a look at your local, you know, your internal folks who remember are also saying advancement opportunities are important to me. And so together, I think those two stats are really pointing to make sure you're taking care of your A players. I know we have our troublemakers, we all do, and they take a (laughs) lot of time, but don't forget the folks who are really delivering because I think that's your future. Well, I think that's a fantastic message to end on, Kathy. I can't thank you enough for being my guest today on Women in Manufacturing. And viewers, please keep in mind, 
that we have several different podcasts available for you at Jacket Media Company. So that's jacketmediaco.com. And there's, of course, Manufacturing Talk Radio, the Wham podcast, which you all know well, as well as Hazard Girls, and that highlights women in unusual roles in industry, as well as Manufacturing Matters. So until next time, thank you again, Kathy, for joining us on Wham, and we look forward to another episode. Thank you. Have a great one. You too. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.